Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Hello, Indie game business attendees. My name is Chase Bathia, and welcome to my talk, A Structured Process for Planning Game Audio and Production. So a little bit about myself, I am a freelance composer. I specialize in adaptive, interactive, and procedural music composition. I've been working in the industry for 10 years, and officially in January, but within my career time, I've shipped 20 titles in, the, in that nine year period. So hoping to grow that number even more, but it's been quite the honor and quite the experience. I was nominated in 2016 for one of my scores, I Can't Escape Darkness by the VGMO for Best Artist of the Year. And most notable titles as you see is A Ground, which just released on consoles February 11th, but last year on Steam in April 17th, 2020. And Aztec Ride, which was a game jam game that actually just got really popular and went on mobile. So those are the scores that I'm typically known for in that regard. But today, I'm going to be speaking to you about pre-production in game audio, like how it comes about in terms of making the audio as best as it can possibly be. So I have a couple examples that I'm going to go over. And I want us to just kind of take a little bit of time to understand the crucial role that it, it involves before we get into pre-production planning and such. We have a popular game here that most of you may already recognize from the art and the skin. But I'm going to play the video and let's take a listen and look of what may or may not be standing out. D-type Samonar Street. So if we're not familiar, this is obviously the legendary League of Legends game. And I want to point out that I would say a little over a decade ago, probably 10 or 11 years ago, they were an independent studio. And now they are one of the top tier studios in our industry today. But they didn't get there without thinking about the things that you've already heard in terms of the production with the sound and the music in the background for the environment to help the story and even the voice acting to pull and deepen the experience a little bit more. So I'm gonna go with another example. 
Not that one. I want to talk about sonic identity, and really that's what comes into the crucial role of everything that is. We're going to play a little bit of game, uh, courtesy of Game Tracks, who is a phenomenal streamer. He let me have permission to utilize this awesome video that he would do on his Twitter, and I thought it was a really cool thing, and it's called Guess That Track. So we're going to guess this track together. Well, you're going to guess the track. I know what it is. <laughs> Very smooth track, very smooth. But what game could you identify that track being? What system can you identify the sound panel and the instruments of the limitations of that corresponding to? I won't ask for immediate answers right now, so I'm gonna give you the answer and you play along if you wish and type in the chat, but it's actually from. Virtual Fighter Five. When you're at the player customization screen on the PS3, you have already heard the track, so I'm not going to play it again uh, all the way through, but just to take a listen again. Now, I would have never associated when I was playing this game on Twitter that that would be the instrumentation and the palette and the groove of what that was. I was going through a bunch of different examples and trying to hear what it possibly be and then layering it down to like the publisher and stuff. But really that is a testament to the sonic identity that was obviously pre-thought in like the pre-production stage. And stuff. So we are mostly inspired by industry leaders and that are now in positions of creating the hardware that we develop the software for. And so I actually found it very interesting that these two leaders of the examples of videos I'm gonna show you very briefly, really empower the feeling of game audio in its production at an early stage. And so I'm just gonna play these quick clips and take a listen to what they say. The other things, again, speaking to the, the huge success of Beat Saber, music and audio is one of the very best things you can do in VR because we have to make these struggles about graphics, the trade-offs, you know, your quality versus your frame rate, but you could just do music perfectly and you should. This is one of the very best things you can do. Similarly, voice acting is very inexpensive quality to put onto your game. I mean, yes, you have to worry about localization, but in many cases, even foreign voice acting with subtitles is going to add a level of polish to the experience that I, you know, that just miming things around really doesn't. Who was that? That was John Carmack, the also co-developer of the very favorited Doom franchise from the 90s. And here he is at Oculus Connect 6, which was about a few years ago, speaking about this in one of his keynotes. And I found that very, very, very interesting. And I was very thankful that he had actually did that small mention that he did. The other that. things, again, speaking to the... the here is another person that may look familiar. And I realized that when I was it's from the Road to PS5, that press conference that had happened last year. And here, Mark Cherney, who is developing, helping develop for the console that we may or may not have right now, is speaking about audio and its empowerment that 
really can define a more sonic identity. Here's what he has to say. It's important for us on the hardware team to find new ways to expand or deepen gaming. And that's what led us to a focus on 3D audio. As players, we experience the game through the visuals, through audio, and through the feedback we receive from the controller, such as rumble or haptics. Personally, I feel a game is just dead without audio. Visuals are, of course, important, but the impact of audio is huge as well. Now, notice that both speakers, both industry leaders that have been in this industry for about more than 20 years, talk about the in tandem and the not to take away from the visuals that are also important, but also are as a juxtaposition in course of. And this is what I'm speaking about in terms of how to incorporate it in your pre-production of your it's development cycle. So the overall theme of it, don't wait too late in your production to consider audio. You have a lot of opportunity that I'm going to discuss right now in terms of how that can be mitigated and how you can step up and spending, you'll end up spending more time in post-production than you need if you just kind of do it in the beginning. And you can gather resources in terms of design documents and character biographies, artwork, storyboards, game references, all that stuff I'm going to be speaking to you about in terms of how to incorporate that in your pre-production in order for you to do it. Because time does not equal money. You can always get more money. You cannot get more time. And the other thing I want to mention is the first impression for playing experiences is everything it, in, in terms of playtesting, in terms of your community, or if you're even pitching to publishers, it is very, very crucial. So here's a chart that I found that I really want to outline the aspect of what pre-production in your game development process is like. Of course, in step one, hopefully, maybe if you have a small team or if it's just yourself, you set up a company. But the focus I wanted to see show is prelim, preliminary budget and schedule. And this is the crux of it all. Then you move into step three, which is hiring key department heads. If this is relevant to you, you move on to step four, creative planning begins. Again, game design documents, asset sheets, which I'm about to show you next and things like that. And then refining the budget and the schedule. And this is important because this is kind of going to give you a timeline of a pipeline that you can reach toward your milestone and go forward with. And then securing any rentals or props, if that's relevant, maybe if you're at a workspace studio. I live in Los Angeles, so a place like Glitch City used to exist pre-COVID, whereas in you could just go in and you know have a workspace area and maybe you could collaborate with other developers or whatnot in the same workspace, but not right now, of course. Right now, probably that place is Discord. And then and number seven, hiring your crew and auditioning your talent, which is also in the pre-production stage again, because you're working towards a milestone of a alpha or a beta that you want to show to your community or to possible publishers for impossible funding if that was the goal that you're trying to reach. So I want to showcase the asset list. And I know that some artists typically work with this. And I want to also emphasize that audio people typically do as well. The audio asset list is crucial because this is where you can typically get all the things that your game may possibly need, such as UI, footsteps. Those things are, are almost generic to and basic to know that you're going to be putting down. But then it gets the brain flow working 
and you can outline, okay, I know that I'm probably going to need a main theme or at least, you know, a cutscene or something of that nature to kind of incorporate it along the way or other different types of sounds or maybe character vo vocalizations. Here you can outline those things there. You can define what the format is, define the duration, if it's going to be a 30-second theme or a three-minute theme or how many average sound effects it's going to fit to the scene. And then you have references and descriptions of what that's going to typically be like. And what the reason it's important for you is because the, when you're shopping around or you're auditioning talent, you can offer this to them and say, hey, these are the sounds that I need for this milestone for in the production phase to get to this funding milestone or to get to at least this release for early access or shipment date, what is it going to take in terms of what are your services costs to get X amount of these listed here? And with that, there's a visualization and a communication directness that happens so that there really, and it, that extends beyond the longevity of just something minimal, but can expand on because then the designer can also add on more to that and take it further to say, oh, well, you might've missed these and these things. And then it's a really good collaboration workflow that tends to happen rather than just doing a call and then maybe writing a bunch of notes. This is like a structured process that you can have that's just very clean, it's very concise, and it most of the time, very most of the time works. So like I was saying, you can help you determine your milestone budgets and also asking all the right questions while you're filling this out is crucial too. Is this a puzzle game? Are you making a racing game? Is it a fighting game? Is this 2D? Is this 3D? All those things will determine and populate in the list as you're thinking about, obviously, and if you have your game design document stuff together, you can just transfer that stuff over onto an Excel sheet and then populate it there to at least understand, okay, by this milestone of this date, I need these amount of sounds. How much do you think this is going to cost or how much can we provide to our public pitch deck that we're going to incorporate in that regard. And so placeholders are okay. Do not get attached to them because you're obviously hiring a professional to take care of that work for you. But I do encourage you to at least try to create some of the sounds or the music yourself to, if you can't find any good references to kind of incorporate along that will also help the, the project development cycle a little bit easier to work with. And that is just an extension of the communication that you're doing. And it also gives you a small appreciation for the hard work of the workload the workflow that's going to be coming down the pipeline. And if you're new and you're building a team, you know, and stuff like that, you like I said, you want to shop around a little bit early, gather some rates, get a couple work examples. I don't necessarily advise any speculative demos. If you're obviously reaching out to that talent, you have the work examples and you see their portfolio, they typically are capable for the job. And if you are going to do a spec demo for pulling into thinking of auditioning for talent in pre-production, be sure to have be sure to at least compensate them fairly for their time in that regard and discuss any type of other in-betweens that you may want to reach in that respect is too. So ensuring your spending along with this typically comes with the asset sheet because again, you know how much you're going to get for what time it's going to be amount for. And I would also suggest at minimum, a sound designer should be highlighted in early pre-production or production in, in itself, but at least like thinking about it to have that, because again, it's about first player. It's about the player's first interaction, their first impression or that publisher's first impression too. So it's very key and paramount to incorporate that and think about it ahead of time. Some of the benefits of having music in 
pre-production and gathering all these resources and having them in this regard is that you can conceptualize themes to be used in many parts of the project. And what I found, at least with working on the grounds, the screenshot on the right, is that this comes in handy and is a time saver so much because if I write something and it doesn't necessarily fit in the game development early on, later on, we can reutilize that and then we can move forward with that. And also it's kind of, just takes away, it, it kind of minimizes the the bugs that may be introduced in that regard too, especially if we're doing more adaptive composition and all the other audio middleware tools I'm gonna to be speaking about sooner. And so you can just do quick iterations and then move things around rather than thinking about it near the end and then realizing you have this here and then you have to move stuff around later. One of the develop, developer for Fancy Fish Games who's developed a ground, did this quite often with the music and he brought me on. I was on in the process in the pre-production stage, even before it went out to the community because you wanted to showcase that. And really it made an impact with the player first impression of having that incorporated just then and then pulling things on later where the, the players are really attached because the, the game development is ever evolving. And so is the project with it. It's almost like a meta source of things that are continuing on. And one of the popular games, Ori and the Blind Forest and the, or Will of the Wisps, I believe the composer Gareth Coker was also brought on early in the pre-production production stages is why the music is very evolving and evocative towards the players reactions and feelings and it only deepens that experience overall so now to the nitty-gritty numbers of everything right off the bat i'm just going to tell you you should be probably incorporating 15 to 30 percent of your entire game budget of game audio this is the reason why when you hire a music composer, you have the composer's fee that you're going to incorporate. And depending on what their fee is, which the industry standard is either 300 per finish approved minute or $1,000 per finish approved minute, depending on the experience of the composer, however you're shopping around the budget of the game, et cetera, et cetera. But this composer or you may, as a designer and the game developer producer, may be discussing if we're going to be using live musicians, will we need an orchestra here and there for such, or will it be hybrid? Will it be a mixture of maybe some live vocals, some clap claps, or, or will it be synthesizers only, or just virtual instruments without any live musicians incorporated? And all this is going to be factored into the fee itself. Then you have sound design. There might be some Foley work. Labor is to be purchased for the designer to be able to achieve the characterizations for any type of creatures or characters that are in or in the environments. Then we have audio middleware. And typically, my favorite is Elias, personally. There's also Wise, FMR, Cryware, Fabric, and a couple others. But for budget purposes, you know that there's a cap of terms of whatever license you may have to acquired to in order to be use it in your game and so really depends on the preference of the composer or the sound designer or audio person overall that is going or the audio implementer the technical audio designer is really what that is in terms of a title that is going to be utilizing that in the game and what workflow that is best for them and so it's best to just kind of look at the tier systems of what that software if it's going to be used in the engine or not what that price point is going to be to incorporate within the budget and then voice acting are you using union or non-union act talent and 
how many lines of dialogue is it going to be? How much they charge for a line? These are all things to kind of consider. I also suggest having at least a 5% buffer. And this buffer I've seen working with multiple developers is the saving of bacon, as I like to say. <laughs> and what that means is there's things that happen. This is game development. But if you have at least a 5% buffer to include upon that, it, things happen. Whatever that situation of that un unfortunate circumstance may be, you are covered. So once you have all this information, what do you do? You lay it all out. You gather all of your info, but where do you lay it out? Well, I have designed a specific tool because we're game designers and we like tools that help us out. And you design a budget template. Now this one that I specifically, specifically designed is, is catered to pre-production. I split it up into three parts, which is design, mostly design labor, and then a couple other like production and things like that. This is just a fraction of what the asset, excuse me, the budget template is like. And here you can put in the rates for the person that you are typically looking to audition, whether for writing or game designer or art director or graphic artist or composer, et cetera. And then the amount of work kind of needed, also facilitating the information from the asset sheet that may have, that you've already populated or that has been expanded based off of you in correspondence with the desired talent you want to hire. And then Having the spreadsheet just calculates the total. You can do formulas, a very, very simple Excel formula that just calculates the numbers to get you to visualize where you might be with your budget rather than just writing out things overall. And then you can see everything and you can adjust things and move things around. Very simplistic tool, super accessible, not too hard. Just takes a little bit of finesse and customization to your liking and your project that you may have. So the conclusion, we all know, hopefully by now, that audio attributes to at least half the emotional experience. So you probably should be including it in the pre-production plans sooner than later. And you can acquire most of the things, like I said, from the storyboards, asking yourself the right questions about what type of game that you're designing to put into the asset list sheet early in your pre-production phase because it's crucial to understand. And then you can put it into your budget template together and then understanding that you can at least separate out or carve out a portion and showing the pie chart that was before. It's comparable to art in terms of percentage, but 15 to 30% in that regard that will be included within the development cycle overall. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out on chasepathia.com or you can reach out to me on Twitter at chasepathia. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sorry, thought Dan was there jumping in, Chase. So got a couple of questions for you. Let me get over to the right screen here. Sure. So first one from the Discord, how do you go about deciding whether it makes more sense to have an external sound design expert or bringing somebody in-house? That's a really good question. So if you, again, it was about asking the right questions of what the project is like. And I think that if you are, if your game design document is at least crafted, you can understand how much work is really going to be needed along with, like I said, 
pulling that information into an asset sheet that I had described for these audio and seeing, okay, this is the amount of work needed. Do I need, do I have enough or whatever your budget is, if you have the budget or if you're looking to get a publisher or whatever that's factored in your pitch deck to see, okay, do I need enough for this milestone, right? To reach these points in development because this is where we are in the industry right now. We're doing alphas, betas, and then we're doing early access. And then, you know, maybe some of us are with publishers already. So it really just depends. But really what happens if you can, do you have enough money to pull someone in for that salary in terms of a sound design where being on full time? Can you afford that? Do you know the homework about what that salary sound designer is based off of where they are in the world and how their portfolio is? So these are factors and questions you should be asking yourself to, to see, okay, I'd need sound design through the entire part of the production process, but I think I need to just have the sound design based off of this asset list hit in these milestones to achieve these things for when we're at certain conventions or on virtually or in person, whenever that comes to pass, or if they only need it for this amount of time and then pulling them back in when we're ramping up toward another show, steam sale, et cetera, whatever the, whatever the project goal is for visualization. Excellent. So I know this is a big one. There's a lot of licenses out there. So are there ways to save money on some of these tool licenses instead of buying the most expensive thing out there, like, you know, using GIMP versus Photoshop for art, which, which tool sets are the friendliest to, to indie devs and indie dev budgets? If we're speaking in the terms of audio, the FMOD had released a announcement on their Twitter saying that it's free for indies up to this X number. I'm not going to say that number. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it is on their website, I'm sure, by now. And so I can foresee, if not if it's already happening, independent developers utilizing that audio software, uh, audio middleware to kind of go forward with that because it actually is a, a decent deal. Now, like I said, I'm an advocate of Elias and I do know that they do work with independent developers if you contact them. It's one of those, if you close mouths, don't get fed. And so if you don't ask, you don't know. But the, those are the tools that I do know for sure that are comparable to independent developers that you can get a lot of mileage out of right off the top of my head. And hopefully that answers the question in that regard. Well, yeah, and then Nightwolf's got a follow-up. You know, he says, Humble's, Humble Bundle, and I know Humble's really good about this. They do a lot of art, music, game dev, asset bundles, and licenses. Are, yes. There's always the concern that when you're getting something in a bundle or it's pre-done, that it's not going to be as good. It's not going to be a fit. What are the warning signs? When, you know, when you're looking at some of these bundles and, and things along those lines, are there certain things that you should absolutely stay away from? Are there certain warning signs that you can look for that, you know, can tell you this is going to be crap or this is good or, you know, how do, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, that's a really great question. The evaluation process for me is, it, it really just comes down to, like I was saying earlier, this sonic identity that needs to occur. It really depends on how much do you want, how much do you believe in your project? Do you believe in your project enough? Whereas in if you can take those bundles and implement all those things from the bundles in there and it's good enough to be that, but do you expect the player to love your game? 
do you expect because there there's a relationship there that you have to remember about like you're doing it for yourself but you also want someone to appreciate your work too you want someone to value your work too and so all of that is considered when you're adding these things in together how much is there a customization between you know those bundles that you can do can can you sell this on this console what are the license factors of that those are some flat things that i would look at in terms of like what the licenses are of the bundle or in terms like maybe you can't do a commercial release maybe you can only use this in one project and not two different games that you're developing for. Maybe the maybe the quality is not to the par of whatever your reference was in that asset list sheet. And these are things that it takes a little bit of a time of a trainer, but most of us are really cognizant and mostly exposed to the type of quality that really is there. If you're trying to do an ad a customized adaptation score that's comparable to the Final Fantasy VII remake, that's not going to most likely be in a bundle but if you so you've got to kind of take what you can get and go from there but if you realize that if maybe that that track that you have you're like I, you know i really decided i want this player to have this experience with these layers but it's only a linear track that loops what am i going to do and such and that's that's your limitation in that regard so it just again it comes down to asking yourself how much does this project mean to you if this is good enough for you for this right now and you want to expand on later on, then you at least know to write these things down. I, I personally keep a production journal, whereas and I have everything I've learned from all the projects, mostly all the projects that I've ever done. And these things typically come up and that's why I evaluate those type of obstacles that kind of come in the way. All right. That, that brings up a good question, but a little bit tangential. Looking at this from... I love the idea of a production notebook, big journal, because I would, I can't imagine if I had written all this shit down over the last 20 years that I've seen and heard, you know, how much valuable all that would be together. Mm -hmm. What sort of tools, and this goes like for any freelancer, you know, or any consultant, anybody out there on their own, do you literally put these in a journal? Do you have? I literally know, have a journal right here. I can pull it right up. This is the from the reality. I'll pull it up here. And in this, I have multiple of these. I talk about the approach for how I designed a music system for the end of one of the tracks, or what are the themes that is going to happen for one of the characters. And then I have scores that I've learned from working with live musicians and a funny anecdote that happened. Whereas when I was conducting and I was swatting a fly and the player came in early because he didn't realize that the queue was happening and the file type formats and things that work within the specific engine of RemPy and all that stuff. I learned a lot from these things. I realized it's very, it's very helpful because I'm doing a lot it is. myself, <laughs> but I need to reference my, my, my past, right? I can't, it's not going to stay here. And it goes back to the, the previous panel where, you know, they were talking about, you know, being able to reuse assets if your main game doesn't get fundled you know fundled not don't fundle your games <laughs> the, um, the, the, you know the game didn't get fully funded and so they use the art assets to make little vignettes and things like that we do it here on the business side you know there are clauses from contracts i don't want to have i'm not a lawyer I don't, I should be in some way at this point, <laughs> but I know it's like, I have clauses set aside in documents. It's like, oh, wait, well, we need this sort of scenario. Having those types of journals, it's 
absolutely valuable. I'm curious because we started using Notion internally and it's like, mm. oh my God, powerful, but at the same time, a little bit overwhelming. So it's like, what do you right. use, you know, what tools do you use to do your marketing, to outreach, you know, to get the word out there about what you are doing when you're not actually creating audio? How do you go about keeping yourself sheltered and fed? You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more remember it's discord.gg slash indie game business hello indie game business attendees my name is chase Padilla, and welcome to my talk a structured process for planning game audio and production. So a little bit about myself, I am a freelance composer. I specialize in adaptive, interactive, and procedural music composition. I've been working in the industry for 10 years, and officially in January, but within my career time, I've shipped 20 titles in the, in that nine year period. So hoping to grow that number even more, but it's been quite the honor and quite the experience. I was nominated in 2016 for one of my scores, I Can't Escape Darkness by the VGMO for Best Artist of the Year. And most notable titles, as you see, is A Ground, which just released on consoles February 11th, but last year on Steam in April 17th, 2020. And Aztec Ride, which was a game jam game that actually just got really popular and went on mobile. So those are the scores that I'm typically known for in that regard. But today, I'm going to be speaking to you about pre-production in game audio, like how it comes about in terms of making the audio as best as it can possibly. So I have a couple examples that I'm going to go over. And I want us to just kind of take a little bit of time to understand the crucial role that it, it involves before we get into pre-production planning and such. We have a popular game here that most of you may already recognize from the art and the skin. But I'm going to play the video and let's take a listen and look of what may or may not be standing up? That's a great question and something that I'm typically learning about every single day, even today. What I have discovered is I just do my own thing. I, and what that means is I try, I saw a quote that my stepmother posted on Instagram and she says, if you compare yourself to others, you'll be bitter. But if you compare yourself to yourself, you'll be better. And I found that a little bit easier because I have to look myself in the mirror and I have to be happy with, I should be happy with who I am in the mirror. But my biggest competition is myself. The last thing I wrote, the last thing I did is myself. And so we have social media and we have the, we just try experiments typically that I, I would do is I realize that art is, is this is great. I think we were just watching a panel about this yesterday. <laughs> it was like, you post something about art and it gets a lot of greatness, but it, 
I have to think outside of the box. I can't be, I am, I have to be a designer and I have to, I have to possibly think what can, what could be in tandem with just not showing music, what visualization and understanding the platforms that you're promoting yourself on. Instagram has the algorithm, Facebook has an algorithm, TikTok has an algorithm. And when you understand the little thing that works, it doesn't, you don't have to, and the other biggest thing I would say is not to overthink it. I overthink a lot. I'd say, have I, had, I have an idea, I try it out. If it doesn't work, then I move on to the next thing. But I have to think about just putting it out there first. So maybe if I have a, like, for example, this track, and then I say, oh, did you know that this was a journal thing entry from this? And then I tie that picture with the music or some kind of caption or some kind of word. It's about being a creative director without wanting to be the creative director and the video editor and everything else. But it's necessary to put yourself out there. And I stream as well. So I stream my behind the scenes composing process. That's another way that I, I, I try to at least showcase my transparency in terms of taking some kind of project that I was on a game jam and then creating the music from scratch from start to finish, then implementing it, then taking it in audio middleware going forward and so on and so forth. So social media, streaming, thinking outside the box, creativity, all the, all the spent stuff of our time. <laughs> so we have a question, but how do you, any, any suggestions on how to pro, pro, uh, I am, approach an indie studio to get hired for a project early on as a newer freelancer and or the best places to keep watch for studios to do audio work? Great question. So the best thing I can say is have your best work always prepared. And that's kind of tough to say. But what I can tell you is in terms of a self-evaluation is to have your closest peers look at your work and get a consensus uh, tally. So choose five people to say, hey, what do you think of this? And they'll say this or that is good or whatever or it's bad. And then if whatever the most popular is, that typically is probably a key for what your best work is that you can probably bank on of being able to show to someone else. Always have your reel up to date at least every year. If you can, that's obviously difficult, but do your best with that. And then, you know, not just try to keep in, maybe you've already game jammed, right? Game jam is the best way to kind of just stay fresh with projects. Like I still game jam to this day because I never knew who I'm going to meet. And I, this last year, I shipped a game on Ouya. <laughs> and that was one of my dreams to do. And I met this awesome programmer and it was fantastic. And now we're working on things together and it, it, it's great. So those those relationships are, I say, are the most fruitful in that regard. And I know there's another part to your question. I think you were asking about where there is to look for audio work. There's so many avenues for, for that in that regard. Music, not so much, but it does come up. There are websites like indie game business that has awesome discord that has cool thing you know job offers and like like that you know small plug there <laughs> and we take all the we can get it's all good <laughs> there's also uh, gamma sutra there is i'm thinking off the top of my head here there's a hashtag on twitter which i think is called game audio jobs or game dev jobs there is a there's one more that i'm thinking about that's all game Jobs Direct, Game Dev Jobs Direct, there's IGDA. There's so many avenues because when you find one, you'll find a new one and then you'll find a new one and it just spirals down and then you're like, oh, wow. Now, obviously, oh, Remote Game Jobs is another one that uh, if you sign up for that website and you, know, you can get actual notifications of such. But yeah, 
there's so many different avenues that we're all trying to help each other find work that you can't. But honestly, if game jam a lot, game jam a lot, and I think that's where the work will come from. It's one of the things that I think game jams typically people think of it in terms of well, that's where the designers and the artists and the coders go. You know, they don't necessarily think of it as that's where the narrative people need to be, or I, as an audio sound designer, need to be there as well. But you've got an entire industry out there of game jams, and there's like there's one like every week or something on Itch.io. Those are all little mini conferences, except you get to do something much more entertaining than sit around in business meetings all day. You know, <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it's so important as you know, somebody in the industry to absolutely network. And those are a great way to network. And so, and yes. Don't think about it all the time. So Yes. And that glues into every question almost that we've been talking about, like, how do you promote yourself? And how do you do things? You do a game jam, you get the experience. That's portfolio work. That portfolio work is good. You promote that portfolio work from the game jam that you did, which then you can take to a studio, which may hire you because they're working on a similar game. <laughs> That's exactly, I mean, I think Chell mentioned that the other day. It's like one of the things that he's done, it came out of a, you know, a game jam. And so it was, they are, they're, they're wonderful. You have to look outside of the box, especially when you're doing, you know, freelance work in this industry and in a pandemic, because right. you don't have the, the typical, okay, well, I'm just going to put an ad out there on Facebook and we're going to see what happens. So which brings up another thing. It's easy for developers and artists in particular to post stuff on Instagram and Facebook because they have very visual stuff. Having audio is a bit different. So sure. when you're out there posting on social media, what do you, what do you actually post? How can, which platforms work the best for you? And what do you do? You know, what do you actually post on there? The platforms that work the absolute best are Twitter and Instagram. I still experiment with TikTok. I know what I need to do for TikTok, but I'll be honest. its I'm already trying to continue with the work that I'm trying to do and keep up with my website and all these other things. And Facebook is, I'll be honest, it's a dying platform. And it's not so, it's not so forgiving in that regard. But understanding, be, being on the the newest platform like TikTok and such, which I actually don't hear a lot of developers being about being on, is really powerful for your work because you want to be on the platform that you're going to get the most view for possible discovery for possible work, and you never know what that's going to lead. So what I do is I think about I, I think about what I want to post first, and I say, okay, well, I really want some highlight on the reality soundtrack, but I know that having it on its own is not going to be enough. And what I've seen is some people take like this little app, I think that can visualize the audio. And it, it, when you're speaking, it has like the little waveform spots. And that's that's an opportunity to kind of do things on that. For, for me specifically, I'm always thinking about what is going to be the next capture and stuff, but without overdoing too much work. And so what I did was I took, I, I worked with a graphic designer and I took the, the captions from the the remarks of testimonials that I had for my work. And then I edited it to my music and it was just something very brief. And then I moved forward from there. Now, if I have, like I said, I told you, if I'm on a game jam, I just take a clip from the best part if I was streaming and 
take that little clip from the stream and then post that on there. Or I take a part of that's in, inside the game if I have access to it, or if I can get like a screenshot and then I post, you know, with a video edit portion of that, whether on Twitter or Instagram. And those typically align with the game design posts that go forward with that, because that's really what you want to portray is that you're not audio only, you are a designer because that's really what you're designing music, you're designing sound, you're, you're lending your voice talent to these projects overall. So th this is what I love about having sound designers and, and localization encoders on the show. They, I get questions that I don't understand in, in the spot. <laughs> so I've been learning WYs and planning to start learning FMOD ASAP. How important is it to learn Unity and Unreal? So to learn in Unity and Unreal, I would say is it's just as equally as important to learn WISE and FMOD because the two talk to one another. That is how the implementation works. Now, how far do you have to go is a different question and a different set of determination and time that you only can answer for yourself. But if you don't know the basics of Unity or Unreal, you're going to get stuck. So I, I do suggest at least getting a beginner course of many of them that are out there, especially on YouTube, to at least try to see how they function and how they go, and it will benefit you in the end. For you know, for people that are just getting into it, I mean, are there core tool sets and tools that you just absolutely need to learn how to use first and foremost? Yeah, there are core tool sets and tools. The typically you should at least have like an audio workstation and places like Humble Bundle are great things to kind of get started with. You know, it's low barrier to entry. You have some asset stuff. WISE is free to learn. You can even do the certification. Uh, FMOD is free to learn. Elias is open. Most of these tools are accessible. The DAW or digital audio workstation of where you're going to be using to create such assets or do certain dialogue editing in which the most cost-effective one I found and that I've heard and that's typically comparable to game audio in terms of what's being utilized the most is Reaper. Reaper is $60. But maybe you're in a Humble Bundle and you get SoundForge, that's $400 software for 100 bucks, plus all the other ones like Sony Music Asset or things like that. Learning your, learning your tool set is only going to make you better to get started a little bit easier. And signing up for music library newsletters or in catching the sales when they're very when they're hot, like we're coming up on a sale, I believe a spring sale is just around the corner. They are going to be helpful as well. You know, this pack is $10 and it's usually $70. Hop on it, get it. And then the more things that you have in your toolbox, the better you can make the things that you want to create. And so those are the things that I would say are, are like open and such. And there's also lots of places online. If you, again, if you sign up for newsletters like Native Instruments, they give away some free samples or they or they give away or they have a newsletter of the top three synths that are community made and are really good because it was used in this production on this famous Netflix show. And those are really, really great resources. So sign up for newsletters. Those are, I'm a big proponent of that. And news because newsletters lead to sales or lead to freebies. And so before we get to the next question, and speaking of newsletters, 
So we've got, for those of you who may have seen the show the other week, we work closely with Game Industry Gathering and Gig and their big social thing that they do on the weekend. Chase knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Make sure that you get an actual pass, even the free one, to the to this event this week because everybody that has a ticket is going to get automatically accepted into the gig this Friday, which is normally, I'm not going to say it's like exclusive, but it is velvet rope. It is very, you know, curated in terms of who comes in. So we make sure that we've got, we, like I'm a part of it. I'm in it, but I'm not like <laughs> the damn thing. Um, to make sure there's, you know, diversity and, and people from everywhere and all this other kind of good stuff. So you can't normally get in that easy, but if you've got a pass this week, you're going to, Anyway, that was it. Newsletters that comes with our newsletter too. So, Absolutely. Um, Nightwolf's got another question. Are certain game genres more popular for audio than others? Would horror, fighting, and adventure open worlds be the top genres? So, what are the top genres that you see people coming to you with? The top genres that people are typically doing are two D. And I, I'm a little sad because I feel like we're, we've been stuck in this 2D groundhog day loop <laughs> for a long time. Now, top-down is becoming a little bit easier to manage. And I think those are kind of becoming a little bit more accessible in regards of like tool sets and time and how much work is being put into it. But 3D is still very niche for independent developers. Like obviously AAA, they've already done that 20 times over. But if you take a look at the projects that come out and you take a look at the awards of these projects, you typically see a lot of 2D or top-down games. That's Why is that? Well, my theory is because of money. I you have to I was mentioning in the in the talk that when you're you have an art lead and you have you typically need a team of art people when you are designing these things and it's not just animation animation needs rigging and rigging you know needs to work with the animator and that's a lot of hours even if you're using something if you're really good at blender or maya or whatever you know to to design these characters for a 3d world is a lot of time and resources and that can that can get up in the budget fairly fast but it's not impossible whereas in there's already i'm thinking maybe some asset packs that exist whereas in you can kind of splash something together from a top down or even a 2d expect uh, perspective whereas in the whatever art style that you're doing is not so intensive heavy and also thinking about the 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 learning curve of the steepness of maybe whatever unreal is offering and then how much work does kind of go in there like the tool sets haven't necessarily matched for time versus service services and budgeting in that regard and that's my theory of what's what's happening but i think it's slowly changing i think in the next 10 years we're finally going to see a surge of 3d games i'm gonna be so happy <laughs> when in doubt budget is usually the answer that's the <laughs> <laughs> yes but right. there's also a lot of funding that's available too nowadays and that's something i also wanted to point out is there's so much funding opportunities so much now it used to be over what 15 years ago when the indie boom happened that it was only a very limited amount of funding and stuff but now and then there was a whole not the publisher type of thing but now the publisher is you know wanting to work with people as long as you have the things lined up in your pre-production phase for your pitch deck to kind of go forward with you got to have a build right that's fun and engaging you have to at least think make it look like you think you know what you're doing that's the um that's the bottom one uh so have you ever been asked to create audio music for game trailers that are more like game music videos 
Would a game music video do better for community and marketing than a game trailer considering the YouTube algorithm? Okay, wait, before you get into answering that, and I'll put that up on the screen. Yes, I please. have never heard of a game music video. What is this? So that's actually something I've been experimenting with, and I'm glad that this is coming up now. And a game music video would be the best. Think about a music video, right? They think of like a Nirvana or something like that. But think, uh, actually, Ludacris had the best one. <laughs> uh, there's a video called, oh my gosh, I think, uh, well, I can't say, I don't want, I want to kind of keep it PG, but there's a video of what Ludacris did. And he took the animations of different char or, or characters of himself and put himself in like a strip club. <laughs> And then we put the music to it. And so I'm thinking if you had game game characters that go along with the music, that would typically be like a game music video. Or some people have like meme videos, whereas then they take things from some famous Valve titles, like the Team Fortress and such, and they add a different music to that. And that can be considered like a game music video. But it depends on what the, the music is defining for that video to be fun. So that's typically, I think, what it what so Now that you mentioned this, I have seen one. The only one that I've seen was actually my son was watching. It was a song from that somebody did for Minecraft, and they had an entire the Hero Brian song or something like that. I didn't yeah. I hadn't thought of that. All right. So so to the original question then, <laughs> would a game music video be better for community building and marketing than a game trailer you know given how youtube actually works anything that you can do that's different is definitely something worth experimenting with and i would absolutely welcome it when i scored the aground trailer and i've scored other game trailers before specifically if i'm the composer in the game i get asked to score the trailer and i think that's really cool and right because I know the sound and the pulse of what that game is. And I try to make it as fun as possible because I'm a player first. I my first I was playing games since most people start instruments. I didn't start instruments first. I was pl playing Game Boy and getting all that feeling and goodness in and, and practice. So I come from the player perspective. And if you if you also listen to the pulse of one watching things on your E3 announcement or your Gamescom, most of the time you want to hear people say, show me the game. They don't really want to see anything else. They want to see game played. They want to see animated cutscenes and all that stuff. That's nice. That's cool. But we've done all of that before. We Something fresh and something just a little bit out of the box will take, I think, a little bit further because they just want to feel what it's going to be like and get an get a idea of what the game is going to be overall. And to make it even more fun, yeah, why not do a game music video as long as you're showing gameplay? <laughs> well, I mean, it would sound... It would sound to me like that would, you know, especially if you're a pure audio sound designer and you need to get some marketing material out there and you may not necessarily have, you know, a game of your own yet that you've worked on in theory. And, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. It would seem like you could actually do that with existing games and create your own, you know, music videos around your around your music but use footage of you playing or you know something to that effect to get it out yes there. yes i actually did do this with the ground early in in early access and i put it in the discord and what i did was i even took there was already mods available for the game and what i did was i was playing guitar and i was playing keyboard and then i was playing the game and then it shows up in a screen it's a very one minute clip of such but they were the community was so impressed that i had 
did that and because I edited it myself and, and such, but I just did it on my webcam because it was just a small idea that they were even more impressive. Like, oh my God, he plays our mods because I'm the developer. I'm, you know, they're, they're like, oh my gosh, we love your game type of thing. But if you, if you just add little ideas that you just find, it's worth experimenting. You never know. And if you, if it didn't work, then you know, it didn't work. But if it's, if it's here, nobody knows except you. Oh, I, I thought you got cut off there for a second. I was like, but, but there, was there an end of that? <laughs> All right. So, and I always tell the folks that are on here that do audio or sound design of all the aspects of game development, sound design to me is always the one that is so closely related to wizardry because I don't even, I can't even put my brain on the level of, of thinking about the sound effects and things like that. What is the weirdest sound effect that you've ever had to do and how did you create it? <laughs> Oh wow. I'd have to say it wasn't it wasn't one that I had to do for well, there's two. There was one I did for a game that I scored called Super Happy Fun Block, which was on the mobile. And I had to do this spider sound. Now ironically, it's just gonna tie into something else. I created this spider sound way before Last of Us 2 came out. And so when I ended up playing Last of Us 2, it was the same sound that I had already created four years before they had probably incorporated whatever sound or for the clickers and such like that and so i was like oh well we're probably on the same thing and it's like it's like just me just sucking my voice backwards and making this weird thing for this spider in the game but the weirdest thing i had to say is recreating the sound the iconic sounds from jurassic park for jurassic world vr the x uh vr expedition that's at dave and busters and there was some kind of dinosaur where they took a turtle in heat <laughs> and they did whatever they did with that sound and they created a dinosaur sound out of it. And I was in tears in the office when I was in that 11 day sprint. And I was, cause I was researching. I said, they did what? And I looked it up and a turtle in heat. If you look they that up on YouTube. And they <laughs> <laughs> it's the most craziest sound ever. And I'm like, no, they did it. They did do this. Right, I was in tears. You just brought up a very other another very good question. Are you telling me there's like giant spiders in Last of Us too? Because I have not played it. No, I was saying that I when I worked on the game Super Happy Fun Block, there was a giant spider in that game, and I created the sound for that spider that ended up being very similar, which I didn't work on Last of Us Two uh, or Last of Us that I believe is in Last of Us and Last of Us Two. So I but found that very similar. Giant spider in Last of Us or Last of Us Two. He's there for as far as I know. No, there's no giant. Okay, <laughs> that's on my list of things to play, but I don't do games with giant spiders. That's that's pretty much we're done. You're not a <laughs> lot. All right, so our next one's coming up. We're almost out of time, but what is your your one last single piece of advice to you know the budding freelancers and audio designers out there that want to crack track into the industry? Because this is by far one of the most competitive you know, and popular aspects of the industry. So for the folks who are just getting started, what, what is your, your, your big piece of final advice here? Keep doing your own thing. Don't try to compare yourself to others and do game jams. I like that. All right. Chase is in our discord. So you can hop over to discord.gg slash indie game business. And, you know, They'll be around asking questions, answering questions. We're all there. It's a lovely place. Over 2,600 industry people 
in there now, which is only mildly <laughs> terrifying. But it's an awesome community. And one of the things I told somebody today of my 20 some years in the industry, that community is one of the things I'm most proud of. So one, thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for sharing you know, your knowledge here today. Absolutely. We're going to wrap up right now. Give us like two seconds because Indy's pinging me that they're ready to go. And then we're going to get our next talk ranked yeah, ramped up. I'm tired. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> Chase, thank you. We'll be thank right you. back, Andy. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business. <laughs>